my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Warning! This podcast contains huge spoilers, literally a recap of the entire plot for the movie Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, as well as the finale for Moon Knight. So, here's what you should do. If you have seen Moon Knight, but not Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, go ahead and listen up to the point where we start talking about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which we will clearly announce to you when the spoilers start. If you've seen both of those, go ahead and listen to the whole thing. If you have seen none of those, go watch one of them and then come back and listen to this. You have been warned. Hello, my name is Jason Concepcion, and welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Podcast, where we're diving deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. Oh, it's a packed episode, an action-packed episode. We'd almost need different alternate versions of ourselves to create <laughs> this episode. That's how much content is going to be packed into it. On the previously on segment, we will be discussing various news, including the new Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer, which hit me uh, right in my heart and looks so good and is very exciting. Plus recap of the Moon Knight finale, the exciting and I thought really action-packed and fun Moonlight finale. In the airlock, we will be diving deep into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, the movie which we saw earlier this week. Uh, we will have a spoiler-free segment of the conversation, and then we will have the spoiler version of the conversation. So, uh, you know, we got to uh, keep everything separate, and we're going to do that for you in a way that you can understand. Check the show notes to see where that is if you haven't seen the movie yet. In our Nerd Out segment, listener Michael uh, will talk to us about the works of Heather Schaefer, who wrote under the name Craig Schaefer before recently coming out as trans. And if you want to jump around, check out the timestamps once again in the show notes. Joining me now. It's the number one, the greatest, the best, the best to ever do it. The writer of a soon-to-be-released Godzilla comic and a walking archive of comics history knowledge. It's Rosie Knight. Rosie, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's what what a week. What a week. What a week. To be together, talking about this stuff. It's truly a crazy week. week. A truly a, a nuts week. Let's get all to it. Let's go to the previously on recap. First up, uh, Miss Marvel, upcoming show on Disney Plus that will highlight uh, the uh, uh, Muslim American character uh, who captured the hearts of Marvel Comics fans mm-hmm. uh, since her uh, debut several years back. Um, the show version will get a full theatrical release in Pakistan. Director Sharmin Obayid Chinoy uh, shared on Instagram this news, uh, as well as the release structure. It'll be two episodes released together every two weeks. Um, this is great for fans in Pakistan um, and in the main because Disney Plus is not available in Pakistan. So this will allow Pakistani audiences to see the first Pakistani-American Marvel superhero. It, um, and I'm delighted for them. Any thoughts, Rosie? 
Yeah, I think it's really cool. I love the idea of giving Kamala even a, a bigger space, a bigger stage, a bigger screen, figuratively yeah. and literally. And I think this hints at something that I know we're going to talk about soon, which is kind of like where the Marvel Disney Plus stuff stands. But I think the fact that this is going into theaters, it gives you a little hint of how important Kamala Khan and other Disney Plus characters are going to be. It's going to be increasingly important. Uh, I think you're right about that. Next up, it is we're recording this on May 4th. Uh, May the 4th be with you. It is Star Wars Day, International Star Wars Day. And, of course, uh, Lucas and Disney released the latest Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer, which looks really great. No bullshit. It looks great. I thought it looked great. They were like, I got chills. You like Star Wars? Here's it a Star Wars. Here it's it a Star is. Wars Here's movie. Star- this is like, you worried we were making things that were different? This is Star Wars. This is going to make you feel like a little kid. And as a fan of Rebels, right? Uh-huh. This is right in that, this is right in that, that era of galactic history when... Yep. You know, all our heroes were on the run. The Empire is triumphant. And this, in actuality, will give us a lot of uh, kind of unknown. We'll tell the the heretofore unknown story of Luke's early days in hiding on Tatooine and what Obi-Wan did to watch over him. I'm super excited. The uh, premiere is Friday, May 27th. We get two premieres. This looks really great. I was just going to say, I think something that we're really excited about that this trailer confirms is like, if you like Rebels, if you like the Star Wars comics, yes. if you want to see that stuff on the screen in live action in a way that feels more central to canon, that is what they're giving us with this trailer. And I think that's very exciting. Uh, and then, of course, shouts to uh, Camille Nanjani, who got some FaceTime in this trailer and is that must be super, super exciting. <laughs> and now, folks, let's go to the Moon Knight episode six recap, the finale titled Gods and Monsters uh, that I thought, I don't know about you, Rosie, I thought it was the best episode of the series. I really liked how much they committed to the kind of cosmic adventurous Indiana Jones kind of that element works a lot better than, to me than the last episode which was like trying to go for the more dramatic this was mm-hmm. full superhero stuff and it yeah we'll get into it but there was a character arc I was very excited about that we guessed yes. from the beginning. <laughs> so I'm feeling good I enjoyed it the ending gave, I have a lot of questions about that I'm excited to dig into with that. you so let's, let's go uh, so we uh, we open on Ahmet's tomb. Arthur Harrow has Mark slash Stephen's body pulled out of the uh, pool of water, and they rifle through his pockets, and they find Ahmet's Ushabti, which of course Harrow really needed. Layla watches from nearby um, as Harrow's followers kneel before him, and then Harrow says rhetorically. Who wants to heal the world? He's not looking for a debate. This is not like a conversation that Arthur Harrow is looking to have at this particular time. He's just asking the question to ask it. And then the top of his cane turns into a crocodile head, the uh, true form of Amit. They leave. Layla steals over to Mark's body. And he's dead, folks. D-E-A-D, 100%. He's gone. Layla weeps, takes the scarab. Great foreshadowing here. Takes the scarab. Um which Harrow threw down into Mark's uh, dead body and lets Mark slip back into the water. Uh, As Harrow and his followers then hit the open road, uh, Layla follows, unbeknownst to them, she's in disguise. Uh, Harrow's followers come up to like an Egyptian army security checkpoint, maybe the Eternal Police, I'm not, 
I'm not up to date on the uh, internal uh, security structure of Egypt, but it's some sort of Egyptian armed forces that they meet. And Harrow is like, guess what, guys? I'm going to measure your souls right now. And then he does this little thing with the cane. Everybody there, their souls get uh, get weighed. Those found wanting, guess what? They die. They're gone. A sure. little flashes of purple light, bye-bye. And then, like, one guy, it turns out, He's fine. His, his soul has been weighed. His heart is full. He's okay. He can now uh, go on and continue living. Uh, and he becomes uh, Arthur Harrow's newest follower. Layla, of course, is following. And her whole plan is like, whatever it takes, I'm going to kill this guy. I, it, and obviously, that would cost her life. Harrow is surrounded by his henchmen, his hench people. Um, and as she's about to pounce on Harrow, uh, a corpse comes to life and starts speaking to her with the voice of Tarawet. And Tarawet's like, no, 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 don't do this. Don't do this. You're, you need help. You can't do this alone. Here's what you need to do. You need to find Khonshu's Yushabti. You need to break it so that Khonshu can, is freed from the figurine. Then when Mark comes back to life into his own body, which is riddled with bullets, Khonshu can put the Moon Knight suit on him and it will heal him. And then, you know, uh, you could be my avatar if you want. And then <laughs> just if, if you feel like it, if you feel yeah, like it, no big deal, like no big deal, you know, no pressure, like, no pressure. No worries if not. I, yeah, I know, I know from what you've seen, it seems like maybe it's not a great deal to be the avatar <laughs> of, a, of an Egyptian deity. But uh, yeah, like, just think about it. Uh, you know, again, just raising it if you want to think about it uh, and, and so on. Harrow and crew enter Amit's tomb inside the Great Pyramid. Layla follows inside the, the gods' avatars. The various uh, avatars of the various Egyptian gods are just terrified. They don't know what to do. They try to fight briefly, but Harrow just, like, wipes the floor with them. But that fight gives Layla the opening to snatch Khonshu's Yushabti, which she does. Uh, meanwhile, Harrow frees Amit, who we now see is, like, a 30-foot-tall crocodile. Although, yeah. that, the, the, it looks really cool. Amit yeah. looked super cool. Like, we I got, like, like, a... They saved the budget for Amit. That's my feeling. I, like, I saw Amit and I was I like, Kaiju right. Amit, this looks good. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We, like, <laughs> backed into a Kaiju fight here. <laughs> like, we got, like, a secret a secret Kaiju fight. Um, so Amit's a 30-foot tall crocodile and also just, like, a very toxic person. Yeah, she's Amit is like, <laughs> Yeah, is, is very negative towards Arthur Harrow, who... To be fair to him, is a mass murderer, but did it all for for Amit, and Amit's like, you know what? Soul still unbalanced, Arthur. And Arthur's <laughs> like, first of all, incredible acting by Ethan Hawke, who is like, just magnetic. Like all the emotion was in his eyes. His eyes were like wet as he's dealing with Amit's seeming rejection. Just an incredible uh, performance from him. So Amit is like, listen. Yeah, your soul's uh, still found wanting. And Harrow's like, great. Uh, you know, I tried my best. Uh, I'm very upset about this. But if it's my time to die, like, whatever you want to do, you do it. You're, you're Amit. You do it. And Amit says, no, not for what you've done, which is, i.e., kill, like, maybe up to hundreds of people, maybe mm -hmm, in the low thousands. Mm -hmm. Not sure about the actual number. But uh, it's for what you have yet to do. Therefore, you, Arthur Harrow, will remain alive because you're going to be in my service. You're going to be my avatar. Uh, which, again... I understand it's kind of a bad deal, but just think about it. If, but don't think about it too long because you got to make a decision right now. And uh, Amit further on, further says, listen, 
I know that you're not a perfectly balanced avatar, but I had one of those balanced avatars. And what happened? I ended up trapped in the fucking Ushabti for 2000 years. <laughs> bad. <laughs> bad times. <laughs> which, was, which was bad times. So, you know, I'm outside the box. Maybe somebody a little bit unbalanced is the way to go here. What do you say? And Harrow was like, yes, of course, let's do it. Layla, meanwhile, elsewhere in the uh, temple, stomps on Khonshu's Ushabti. Now Khonshu is freed, and he immediately can feel like Mark is is dead. Uh, And then these gods are just very, very grimy, it must be said. He then tries to manipulate Layla into becoming his new avatar so they can defeat Ahmed together. And Layla is like, you know, no. (laughs) She's the only smart one. She's like, I think no. Yeah, it's like, no, it seemed like a bad deal for Mark. Uh, And also he like talked shit about it. Also, Steven said it was a really bad time. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to do it. And then Khonshu was like, fine, I will go do it alone. I will fight Amit God to God. Over in the field of reeds in the land of uh, the dead people who make it all the way to heaven, the Egyptian version, Tarouette tells Mark that, hey, you're cleansed. That's why you're here in the field of reeds. Your heart is full. Everything's great. Congrats. Mark then asks, okay, well, what about Steven? Where's he? And Tarot's like, he's gone. You know, he got purged. He's over. He fell off the boat. He's trapped in the sands of Duat. And that's kind of it for Steven. But you're great. You're doing good. How about that? And Mark's like, mm, I, Steven actually is the person who saved me from some of the most traumatic moments in my life. And so I have to return the favor. I have to go back and get him. So, and then Tarot's like, well, if you leave, you can't come back. And Mark's like, ah. I'm out. They go out there. Mark goes out there to the sands of the Duat and reunites with Stephen. The personalities merge into one and Mark and Stephen return to the body. And back in the real world, Kanshu feels immediately that Mark's body has come back to life. And which is just in time because it looked a lot like Amit was about to murk Big K mm-hmm. Kanshu, man, was about to like wipe the wipe the mat with Kanshu. Um Kanshu makes Mark the same old deal. Hey, life or death. That's is that a tough one? Is that a tough uh, decision to make? Life or death. Will you protect the travelers in the night as my avatar? And it's a yes. And then the wraps Mark in the the armor. The bullets pop out of his chest, and <laughs> the Moon Knight is back. Mark and Stephen. Now a balanced, now like a like a folk music duo, like Simon and Garfunkel, <laughs> like perfectly, perfectly blended. The lines, like you know, one one sings one line and the other comes and sings the other line, and they're just like this package deal. In Stephen's words, now they go out to meet Conchu on the desert sands, the sun setting majestically in the background. Stephen pops out and is like, "Hold on, so I got some questions about this arrangement we have." Um, uh, and Kanchu's like, what? We have to fight Amit. Like, what about the Amit thing? And Stephen very wisely mm-hmm. notes that, hey, you need us to fight Amit, meaning we have leverage now, meaning I would like to strike our deal, whatever that may be right now. And so Kanchu's like, fine, okay, fuck it. Like, I'll let you guys go. You guys will be released once Ahmed is vanquished, and it's a deal. Back in the tomb, Layla is trying to save uh, one of the wounded avatars of one of the deities, I forget which, and um, the de- the avatar tells Layla that le- to stop Ahmed, you're going to have to trap him in a human form. And then he says, unfortunately, there's not a lot of avatars left to do that. And he goes, oh, and then he dies. And then Layla is... At that point, she doesn't know what to do, and she realizes, oh, well, you know, the Tarouette, her offer 
it's looking a little better right now, and so I'll do it. Uh, and so she accepts. Tarawet is super excited, is like, hey, great. I've been thinking about some costumes for you, some, uh, you know, for the Scarlet Scarab. Um, and your dad is going to be so pleased. And she's like, well, yeah, your dad, I took him to the Field of Reeds. Now, this suggests, as we have talked mm-hmm. about before, Rosie, that Layla's father was once the Scarlet Scarab. Yeah. I.e. an avatar of Tarawet who then died in the God service and was taken to the field of reeds. I think that that's pretty yeah. heavily suggested here, right? I think so, too, because the whole notion throughout the series, Arthur Harrow and I think Mark have mentioned that, like, her dad believed in the idea that gods walked on the earth in the form yeah. of avatars. So it would make sense that even if it was only momentarily or to extend his life or to help Tarawet in some way, she seems to know him And in the comics, Scarlet Scarab is a father-son mantle that's passed down. So it would make sense that here it's the dad and then to Layla. And this is just so cool because this seemed like a really deep cut. Like, is it, isn't it going to happen? So for them to go like full on and then like out Wonder Woman 84, Wonder Woman 1984, I thought that was very impressive. It was super, super cool. And the costume design is, is really rad as we will talk about soon. Um, Atop the Great Pyramid at Giza, Harrow casts Amit's judgment spell. And, of course, nearby, everywhere in the surrounding area, including uh, the legendary, iconic, uh, and internationally uh, notable city of Cairo, people are just starting to fucking die, drop dead as their souls are found wanting. And they, uh, you know, and their souls are ripped from their bodies in these flashes of purple light. And then Moon Knight and Khonshu arrive to put a stop to this. And the fight is on. It's Moon Knight versus Harrow. And then our kaiju action, baby, Khonshu versus Amit, which is happening in the background. It's so cool. Uh, And it initially goes pretty poorly for our heroes, it must be said, until Scarlet Scarab flies into action on her seemingly indestructible golden Mm -hmm. underarm wings. Again, super cool costume design. I thought this was really rad. And Mark and Seaman are like, oh, shit, this is... Where'd you get this? This is is really (laughs) awesome. Um, And then we get the... A, a really cool fight with Arthur Harrow's uh, and his henchmen and, of course, Ahmed and Khonshu uh, battling out in the background. And the fight synergy is really cool between uh, Moon Knight, Mr. Knight, mm-hmm. and uh, the Scarlet Scarab all taking on Harrow and the henchies. Uh, we get to see Steven as Mr. Knight, like, fight Nightwing style with the, oh, with yeah. the two sticks. Uh, for the first time, Night I thought sticks. that was really great. And... It's it's a really fun fight, but uh, unfortunately, uh, it ends up with uh, Mark slash even on the receiving end of almost death. Harrow mm-hmm. has Stephen slash Mark. He's about to kill them. And then, bang, we get another blackout. And when Mark comes to, Harrow is unconscious in his arms. All the henchies are seemingly dead. Steven emerges. He's like, I don't know what happened. We've seen this before, of course. And Layla is over there like, wait, wait, what just happened? Mm-hmm. Just then they see uh, in the distance that Amit uh, has beaten Khonshu and is dragging Khonshu off somewhere. So they have to cast this trapping spell. Layla and Mark go to do that. They cast the spell and it works. Khonshu uh, uh, tells Mark, OK, you have Amit trapped in Harrow's body. Kill him. End the threat forever. You have to do that. Layla's like, no, it's how many more people do they have to kill? Stop 
killing people. Like, maybe you should just stop doing that. And then Kamshi's like, okay, but, like, you know, Amit, you heard Amit. Like, literally, as she was being trapped in in Hera's body, like, she would never stop trying to do this stuff. (laughs) So she's going to come back again and try to commit mass murder. And so the market makes the very obvious, but I think very important, realization of wait hold on a second if you want to, if you want Amit dead so much why don't you just do it Kanchu mm-hmm. why don't you do it and Kanchu's like fine I'm not gonna do it you're free go ahead you're gone and the suit is stripped away and Kanchu disappears Stephen wakes up in the mental hospital in Harrow's office once again Harrow says Kanchu isn't real limps away trailing blood and he's confused by this he doesn't understand what this means Mark and Stephen then say, you know what? I don't want to stay here at this. We don't want to stay here at this mental hospital anymore. We're going to go back and save the real world. Bang. Mark wakes up in Stephen's bed as in London as if nothing at all had happened. His his leg chained to the pillar just <laughs> like in the first episode. And we would assume now that Mark slash Stephen are part of our Marvel universe as, as something. They uh-huh. don't quite – well, let's talk about the stinger before we talk about what that would mean. We get the stinger. Arthur Harrow uh, wakes up in a mental hospital. Is it the same exact mental hospital? Is it a different one? Whatever the case, he wakes up in a mental hospital. He's drugged to the gills. More great acting by Ethan Hawke. A Spanish-speaking man wearing black gloves comes inside and wheels Arthur out to a waiting limo. And who's inside the limo but Conchu? Uh, Harrow says, ha-ha, Conchu, guess what? We're done. You can't hurt me anymore. Like, uh, Ahmed has been vanquished. We're done with this. Um, and of course... If this is the real world, and we'll unpack this, Ahmed is inside Harrow right now, and uh, and we know that Kanchu, when last he was around Harrow, wanted to put an end to the threat of Ahmed. Kanchu's like, listen, I have a secret I need to tell you. Yes, I made a deal with Mark and Steven to release them uh, as my avatars, right? And I honored that. But, 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 but! As anybody who's been watching this series closely knows, mm-hmm. there is a third identity lurking somewhere in those blackout moments. And guess who it is? It's the personality I didn't make a deal with. It's Jake Lockley, my new avatar, my Spanish-speaking limo driver, who is also like a straight-up murdering dude <laughs> who does not have any limits. Have, has no limits on the violence he's willing to meet out in, in my service. And he knocks on the little divider uh, where the driver is. It wheels down. There is Jake Lockley. Jake Lockley then uh, shoots Arthur Harrow, killing him, and uh, they drive off in a white limousine with a Spectre license plate into, I guess, the wider Marvel Universe. You have a lot of questions, Rosie. I have a lot of questions, Rosie. Rosie, what are your questions? Okay, so if we're talking about the stinger. So I think it's really interesting, obviously a very classical narrative, a classical narrative twist to see Arthur end up where he had seemingly been trapping Mark slash Steven Psyche. But what I find really interesting is the implication of him being the doctor and not know where, knowing where he is and then ending up in the... and being able to commune with Stephen and Mark and then ending up in the Mental Institute as a patient. Did Harrow also have DID? Like, is Konshu specifically uh, targeting people? Also, I don't know if they... I don't think they ever said DID in the show still. I don't think they, they didn't yeah. say it. And I, I, yeah, and I understand why because this, yeah. this final episode especially takes like a lot of leeway with the notion of of how something like that would work but the big questions here obviously are 
Jake Lockley. Why is he a murderer? Justice for taxi driver, working co- like working class blue collar comic book Jake Lockley. He's a nice guy in the comics. He's just a he, just a chill he is dude. A nice, he is driving a, nice guy a New in the comics. York cab, making some friends. As we've talked about before, he's the persona who can be in a diner and hear what's going on, who can overhear yeah. what's going on in the taxi cab. Who, and here he's like a stone cold killer. I mean, a Disney show that ends Flat with someone out. just <laughs> shooting someone like in the face. That's a pretty, pretty hard turn for Disney. But the big question I have is he is driving in a white limousine and on the license plate, it says Spectre. So the implication there is that this is a car owned by Spectre Corp. But Mark Spectre, as we know him, is just like a bum assassin who like couldn't even keep his wife. So where's the where are these billion dollar kind of situations coming from? Uh, it is a very intriguing stinger. And I think for people like us who follow the comics and who'd been like, oh, is it Jake? Is it Jake? Yeah. I think it's like, wow, you've got so many questions. And I just, I, I wonder if people who like, don't really read the comics. We're just like, what does it mean? What does the white? What does what does the spectre mean? <laughs> in a what's very doing, it, I, weirdly, Stinger and the very very end aside, I thought that this, I thought Moon Knight the series was like a lot easier to figure out what was going on yes. than a lot of recent Moon Knight comics, where yeah. I'm a hundred percent of the time I'm like, wait, is this real? Is, is I don't understand what's happening. Here is my theory on what I think is happening. Okay, so Steve and Mark are stripped of Conchu's blessing, right? Mm-hmm. And they go back to that kind of junction place between life and death where you can kind of decide to go to the field of reeds or wherever. Um, but the uh, whatever it was you know, Amit, I guess, that was mm-hmm. holding Stephen and Mark there has been damaged because of, you know, the victory they had in the real world. And they're able to realize what the place is and they made a choice together to go back to the real world. Okay, I think that's fairly straightforward. Yeah, right? that's a great read. That The Arthur Harrow thing, here's what I think happened. And I think it's just like, this is what I think happened. So they don't kill him. They leave him in the pyramid, I guess. Right. And then uh, Khonshu, of course, doesn't kill him either. Khonshu is a fucking coward and can't do anything for himself except, I guess, <laughs> hand-to-hand combat with Amit, to be fair to Khonshu. But like everything else, Khonshu won't do. And so the police come. They find Arthur Harrow's body. He's babbling about Egyptian gods and this and that. And he seems like an ill person. So they take him to a mental hospital where Khonshu, in conjunction with Jake Lockley, his avatar finds him and then kills him without Mark and Stephen knowing. I think it's just like literally that straightforward. Yeah, I think something else that you just made me realize when you touched on it is um, in the, so in the version of the the kind of overvoid like limbo space, Tarawet said to them, you know, you're just imagining it this way because that's all your human, feeble human right. minds can deal with. So it would make sense that Arthur too, when he was suddenly in a mental institute on a lot of drugs, would also visualize that space that way. So they did, that was a good little bit of narrative stitching together that I think they wove in there. So yeah, I'm very sorry I won't be seeing Ethan Hawke, but also understand that He's a he's a very famous man with a lot of limited series. Yeah. Well, okay, so I, I, something I think is really cool that I think we could see happen. When Ethan Hawke was cast, 
Yeah. And he had the cane. And, and, and a lot of people were thinking like, oh, could there be some kind of idea of like an evil moon knight of like a, a character who is gonna play up against him but i wonder with the emergence of jake lockley if we'll see something kind of like in the comics where there was an evil moon knight called shadow knight who was randall specter who in the mcu we know died but I think there's something there about Jake kind of taking on an evil Moon Knight persona. Yeah. Something that could be really cool. This is quite out there, but I believe they went they went quite out there with this. What if he was the antagonist and Stephen and Mark were trying to hunt him down? So I think that would be really cool. I think that would be really cool too, and which raises the question, okay, so uh, Stephen, Mark, Jake, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Jake is will continue to be Conchu's avatar. So Moon Knight is still going in the form of in the uh, under the under the control of the personality of Jake Lockley. Stephen and Mark, we will assume, have no idea that this is going on. So uh, Steve uh, as season two hasn't been confirmed, but I think mm -hmm. that there have been enough hints that we think that it might happen, including a, some social media posts where yeah. the wording was changed from series finale to season finale. Um that what we'll probably get is just what you said, uh, uh, Moon Knight as like the bad Moon Knight running around super brutal doing Conchie's bidding in a way that is not heroic. And Mark and Steven fighting to emerge from whatever barrier Conchu has has mm -hmm. placed down. Because the other thing is like I, I thought that what was cool to me about the Moon Knight series is essentially essentially like a long origin story for a character and and a interestingly structured origin story too it was like a it was like basically like wolverine's origin you yeah, know yeah. like a care you introduce a mysterious character who doesn't know who he is has a bunch of fractured memories that he can't quite pick together has been in action for a long time but doesn't remember any of it and then managed to get all their memories together at the very end but aha there's uh, important pieces still missing and i think that's what we saw here and so i i think that you're you're on to something in that we will see if there is a season two, um, we'll get Mark and Steven trying to break free of uh, the influence of Jake Lockley slash Khonshu. Yeah. And I also wonder if something that was well, something I thought was really interesting that you kind of touched on here that I thought was really cool was in the finale, we basically got the proper Moon Knight origin. Because in this version, when yes. we saw him originally in Egypt, he was going to kill himself. He was wounded, but I also feel like it was meant to be like guilt over what happened to Layla's dad and stuff. So in this version, we really see the moment where him and Steven make this conscious decision to be with Khonshu to be saved. And then I thought that was really cool that they kind of built in an origin to the finale. Also, in the comics, there's a lot of precedent for... Mark disconnecting himself from Konshu and then right. being able to regain powers through the priests of Konshu through right. different routines. So I think there's something there. Also, we had suspected slash wondered if at some point Jake would be revealed to be a part of what happened to Layla's dad. And I think if there's a second series, now we have Layla as the Scarlet Scarab, that could also add an interesting conflict if it was Jake who was involved in that side of things rather than Mark and Stephen. I, another thing that I don't know if you caught, but there was a moment where I think the Jake voice came out 
it was uh they they were in the fight with Harrow and Harrow is is like uh you know villainously monologuing and then you get the you get the Stephen voice for sure which is super recognizable and then you get like kind of a more it may just be Mark in a way that was like not consistent with past marks but it felt like they did the the the, the Lockley voice drop there I I think I, so I want I think they've Go been ahead. sneaking. I just I think they've been sneaking it in more, and I think on a rewatch you will really be able to tell because that was the first time we really caught it was in the office. But I reckon yeah. if you go back, it's probably been there a couple of other times when Mark seems I think you're right. agitated or aggressive. I think we could have been seeing Jake kind of sneak out. Now, regarding the uh, the white limousine with the Spectre, we should talk about that because I think you're right. Where's this money coming from? Where's the cash for the limo coming from? Okay, Jake Lockley is the more—we're just meeting Jake Lockley in this episode, although there were hints about him uh, all throughout the series. And clearly, Jake Lockley is seemingly uh, is based on the comics version of Jake Lockley, which is like the more blue-collar, the, the mm-hmm. lower-class guy who has connections to the streets and can hear things and, and understand things in a different kind of context because of uh, where he is in the social class structure. But there's also in the comics, gr- the Grant persona was turned into like this super billionaire, uh, sometimes businessman, oftentimes like media mogul mm-hmm. slash movie producer and flashy white limo like that. I I wonder if there isn't another either another personality or something that Stephen or Mark maybe don't remember, which is them being this business media mogul hotshot, okay. Hollywood celebrity producer, something. So if it was if it was me, this is this is my theory. Let's see okay. if it happens. If if season two happens, I think think about it. Two things in in media, movies, comics, whatever we like. There are two things that whenever they exist, they are very rich: vampires and assassins. So <laughs> if if hypothetically. Yeah. Jake Lockley is this third persona who's been going around just casually happy to kill everyone. Very efficient at it from what we've seen. Yeah. He had a silencer on that gun. You know, he killed all those people in Egypt. And maybe Mark and Stephen are the, the personas who have been trying to live a normal life, protect things from the family and all of that. But perhaps Jake has been there as a persona who has been building up this cash flow, these connections to the criminal world. I like he that. may have actually created Spectacorp in Mark's name because they needed something for that. Like, I think there's something there where it's like Jake might be the puppet master. Like, Konshu thinks he's playing Jake, but Jake may have been doing all these other things to protect them because we thought Spectacorp was going to come into it. it and then they kind of yeah. teased it at the end. So I think it could be cool to see if that was maybe something Jake has been doing and he's kind of using these different... Because Stephen in the comics is is the producer, like you said, the media mogul. Maybe that's something Jake's taken on. Like, I would be really interesting to see where they go with that. Um, I would too. And I final thing, do you think we see Layla as the Scarlet Scarab in the wider MCU? I think that would be really cool. Yes. I I think my feeling is that the end game of who was meant to come out of this show mm-hmm. is May as Layla and the Scarlet yeah, Scarab. Right. I think that's right. Egyptian hero, yeah. 
in the MCU. Brilliant, badass, essentially immortal, also incredibly smart, also kind of got an anti-heroine, roguish tendency because she's got these, you know, for a long time, all anybody wanted was an Indiana Jones movie where Oscar Isaac played Indiana yeah. Jones and returned <laughs> things that people had stolen through like colonization and 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 you know the general theft of like the British Empire. So Layla could definitely, she has that kind of, she said, I'm just putting things back where they came from, you know? I think there's a a lot to that character. People like the costume design is really cool. It looks like they spent a lot of time on that. The Scarlet Scarab, it the characters have been in all of, you know, three issues. So I think it gives them a open space to yeah. to really introduce character. And today they had an interview with her on Marvel.com introducing her as Scarlet Scarab. So to me, I think that's like, I think we could see Oscar as Moon Knight, obviously. And I hope they keep bringing back his brother because that's who he was playing against as his yeah. double. And I think that really added a lot of the emotional heft. Like you knew when he's playing against Mark or Steven, that's someone he loves. That's yeah. how he can bring that. And I, I wonder if maybe they do something where like, Oscar's very busy, so I think you could do a lot of Moon Knight with predominantly CG or costuming and have ADR, kind of like Mandalorian. Yeah, same thing with, you know, the way that Robert Downey Jr. did, like, a lot of of the MCU material, which is just, like, him in a closet with a really good microphone and going, like, People's hearts, and he became like the most Jarvis. Connect me to the satellite. (laughs) Screaming (laughs) shit like that in a closet. He's like in his house. His wife's like, "Yeah, it's okay." (laughs) Jarvis, what was that? (laughs) (laughs) I think if that's the case, then you need the 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 human face, the the character who's gonna be there and be feeling and be a part of these stories, and you know. I think, like, think about this, just hypothetically. Moon Knight okay. and the Scarlet Scarab. That just sounds like a movie you'd want to see or a, or a TV show you'd want to watch, right? I think I think that is the sale. Okay, I have one question that's been on my yes, mind yes, since yes, I yes, watched yes. this for you. As somebody who is very invested, as we all are, but I know this is something you talk yeah. about a lot and you have really good thoughts about it, in how things connect. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about that with Moon Knight? Because it seemed like there were lots of threads where it could connect to other things. And it, and they and they ended up going streamlined and kind of almost standalone, not fully standalone, but almost. How, how did you feel by the end of the episode? I I like I. There were obviously a lot of questions, and I think whenever, you know, it's the same thing, it's the same feeling you get reading comics mm-hmm. a lot of times, which is like, where are the Avengers? Why doesn't Thor just call the Avengers? Why doesn't Daredevil just call Spider Man? Why doesn't like what any number of things happen? In that sense, it felt very comic booky in that it was standalone. Mm-hmm. It was its own thing. I liked it. And I liked, and I think the thing that I appreciated about it in the context of this conversation of the wider MCU is that it gave us a lot of new information. We've, you know, yeah. uh, in terms of like it, it, of MCU gods, of Marvel mm-hmm. gods, we've uh, had Asgardian lore. We've seen that. And we know we're going to get more of it with Thor Love and Thunder. Um, but this kind of laid the groundwork for hey, any of the kind of ancient gods from different cultures, all of that could come in, which is yeah. I think is really cool. Like, I, I'm, it was a very on-the-nose and sincere moment, but, like, the moment when uh, Layla uh, saves the carload of civilians mm-hmm. in Cairo and the one woman says, wait, are you an, the, an, the first Egyptian superhero? Are you an Egyptian superhero? And she's just like, yep. Uh, <laughs> that got me, and I think, like, the the the... 
the possibilities that that opens. Mm-hmm. Um, not just for like representation and casting, but for like storytelling, yeah. cool characters, for widening the kind of like uh, the 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 lore of the MCU. I think is really cool. That part of it, I thought, was really cool. And also, you know. There's not an Avengers team right now. So mm-hmm. I guess like when when shit's going down in Cairo and it seems like people are just Taking their souls are being vaporized. <laughs> yeah, there would be like a wait, who did where's Thor? He's not on the planet. Fuck. OK, uh, Captain America. He's like 98. Oh, shit. Uh, Nick Fury. He's gone. Damn it. Uh, nobody remembers Spider-Man, so you can't call him. Uh, <laughs> You know, so like it makes sense. It actually does make sense. No, I think you're totally right. I really, um, I think that the biggest thing here is Layla, Scarlet Scarab, and also this notion of gods. Whether or not we see Tarawet or we see any other god isn't the point. The point is these gods exist as living deities with powers who can influence our world. And we're about to go into Thor, Love and Thunder. And I love what you said about Layla because something about comics that hasn't that the MCU is really just getting into in in phase four. Comics have always had fans all over the world. And yeah. one of our favorite comics, one of the things we talked about the first time we ever met, Giant Size X-Men. That oh, is a comic. One of the greatest of all time. Where the team came in and they said, We are gonna make an international team. Now, yep. did that team have some flaws? Sure, whatever. It's not, but, yeah. but that was the notion, and that reinvigorated the X-Men. It introduced some of our absolute favorite characters, and it changed the way that we saw comics and we saw that team. And I really like your idea that these shows, and this specifically this show, can be the launch pad for those kind of ideas of, of, of introducing different kinds of heroes from different kinds of places and widening the scope of what an MCU hero could be. I think that's really lovely. Yeah, I, I uh, I'm excited to see what happens next with Moon Knight. Whether we get a season two, uh, whether we don't, who who and what comes out of this series and reaches the wider MCU. Uh, and with that, guess what? When we come back, we'll be talking Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program. The world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Folks, we're stepping out of the sling ring portal and onto the beautiful steps of the mystical city of Comartage to discuss Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness now in theaters. We're going to start with a spoiler-free conversation, just our kind of gut-level reactions to uh, the movie, and we will start with that now. Rosie. What do you think of the movie in a non-spoiler fashion for the people who may have not seen it yet? If you haven't seen it, I will not spoil it. I will say you should go and see it. I really had so much fun with this movie. I think it's one of the fun, most fun MCU movies. I think it's a great Sam Raimi movie. I think it 
made me feel like I was flipping through a comic book issue. Like I picked up a random issue of comics and I was flipping through and I was like, whoa, I'm here, I'm there. The paneling, the kind of, the splash page, like, and it had this heavy metal goth rock zeros energy. I feel like Sam Raimi bought his best Spider-Man movies kind of aesthetic to it. I, I, yeah, I, I had a ton of fun and I'm, I'm really excited to see how it lands for people. Cause for me, I was just like, I, I was in, I was all in. How about you? Same. Do you, do you like, do you like Sam Raimi's horror oof, including Evil Dead 1 and 2 and Armies of Darkness and Dark Man? Do you, do you enjoy the original uh, Spider-Man trilogy? Uh, most notably Spider-Man 1 and 2, you know, great classics by the great Sam Raimi. Do you enjoy Sam Cam? Do you enjoy comic mm-hmm. book action? Do you enjoy uh, Marvel magic? Who, by the way, let me just say, Marvel MCU magic fans, a different breed of MCU fan, and I love them. Yes. Uh, do you like do you like really wild set pieces that you like legitimately have not been seen before uh, in the context of a Marvel comics movie? Uh, you'll like this. I really enjoy. I had a great time. Super yeah. super fun movie. Um, and with that, go just go see it. Before you listen to the rest, mm-hmm. because we're going to start the rest right now. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers about to start. Are you ready, Rosie? Spoilers, yes. Here we go. This is the recap of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, directed by Sam Raimi, written by Michael Waldron, uh, starring, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Elizabeth Olsen, Soshi Gomez, Benedict Wong, Chiwetel Ujiofor, Rachel McAdams, and the rest and a whole lot of cameos, which we will get into. Here he goes. We open in an alternate universe. Defender variant, Dr. Seaman Strange. Would you say that that's fair? Defender I say, variant? I would say that's fair. I also think we can have a very interesting conversation about the fact they never use the word variant in this film. So it is Defender Strange, who is, as far as we know, a Doctor Strange variant in a world where he, assumingly, led the Defenders. That's correct. Uh, uh, one of the kind of like underrated... Mm-hmm. Underrated superhero teams, like if you were going to say, obviously, Avengers and X-Men, that's like your your major leagues. That's your big league team. Uh, and then you have like West Coast Avengers is kind of like an A minor, like a B level team. <laughs> your defenders are like I'm not saying they're like like when the Avengers went local and you had the Great Lake Avengers. Obviously, like the defenders are above the Great Lake Avengers. They are. But there's still like a like a sea level but fun team that once had Hulk, Doctor Strange, Iceman, and others. Anyway, Defender Stephen Strange, who can speak Spanish, and America Chavez, who would you call her a mutant? Would I personally call her a mutant? Absolutely. Does this movie call her a mutant? <laughs> Not quite. But I We're believe... gonna call her a mutant. America Chavez, a human mutant from an alternate <laughs> dimension, are running away from a demon. Where are they? They're in a place called the junction, which we will explain what that is later as as our characters learn what that is. They're trying to reach some kind of glowing book on these like uh floating platforms and the demon is chasing them. We will later learn that this book is the book of the Vashanti, a powerful white magic uh, uh book that is the uh, the polar opposite of the dark hold, the book that Wanda has been studying since the end of WandaVision. Uh America has the power to open doorways through dimensions, but much like many young mutants mm-hmm. does not have the ability to control her power 
It only emerges in moments of extreme stress, danger, emotion, which is very mutant-like. That That's is very how most mutants' really. powers first emerge. Anyway, uh, Defender Strange, seeing that the game is about to be lost, comes up with the last gasp strategy, which is to take America's power so the demon can't steal it. What if the demon steals it from you, Strange? Seems like, I don't know if this is a great strategy, but that's what he does. In the end, the demon kills Strange, and Chavez, with her life in danger, unconsciously uh, engages her power, opens a portal to Earth-616. Strange wakes from a terrible dream here on our our regular MCU-616 Earth. He uh, he was dreaming about a young woman and uh, him. They were in some weird dimension. They were running from a demon. They were trying to get a glowing book. And he's like, ah, oh, whatever. That was weird. Maybe just some a bad taco I ate last night. <laughs> he then puts on his beautiful Jaeger Le Coutre Master Ultra Thin, a gift from Christine, which has a $23,300 manufacturer retail price. Christine! Steven, how did you fumble the bag with this woman? This what? woman what? loved you. She was working in a hospital. <laughs> she bought you a $23,000 fucking watch. And you and you blew it, buddy. How much did Steven blew it? Well, first of all, this crystal is completely cracked and this beautiful watch that Christine got him. And he's putting on the watch and getting dressed in a really nice suit because he's got to go to Christine's wedding. Mm -mm. Yes, he blew it to that level. He goes, uh, he goes over to the church. Christine's getting wed to a, a man who apparently is an Avengers fan. Awkward moment. Uh, Strange then apologizes for basically him fumbling the bag with their relationship. And it's like, I hope you're happy. She's like, I hope you're happy too. And Steven's like, eh, am, I, am I happy? I don't know. I have weird dreams and I broke a $23,000 watch face. There's a commotion outside, out in the street. Something invisible is wrecking cars and buses and just generally fucking up the street. Steven, listen, there's no better, like, feeling probably in this moment for Steven than to flex in front of his, it, it, the the love that he lost and be like, yeah, this is what you, this is what you lost, <laughs> babe. Dr. Steven Strange, Avenger. And he suits up in his uh, costume and he floats down there and everybody's like, oh, holy shit. Using some magic, he reveals the monster and it is our friend, Shumagorath, who Slash is officially Gargantos. Gargantos. You know what? We, yes. I'm going to say, I'm okay with it. Uh, now to me, <laughs> he's Gargantos because you know what? Shumagorath, that's a smart guy. He he would be like he's taunting very... Steven and talking. Yeah. This guy, he's just going like. Wah, yeah, he's more of like a beast. So I'm like, you know Mindless. what? It's Gargantos. It's Shumagorath's like stupid right. a cousin. I'm okay right. with Shuma, it. Shumagorath legitimately like an evil genius. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Strange swings into action. He cuts off one of Gargantos' tentacles, drawing the creature's anger. Uh, Strange then quickly gets knocked out, but... Good thing his uh, his friends, the Cloak of Levitation and Wong, the Sorcerer Supreme himself, show up and they swing into action and they're uh, fighting Gargantos. Eventually, all of our heroes take down Gargantos and they uh, over pizza. Strange and Wong start asking America Chavez, like, what's the deal? Where are you from? What are you doing here? What did you where? Uh, why was that thing trying to eat you? She tells them she's from an alternate uh, dimension and that she's known lots of Dr. Stephen Strange's. In fact, she was recently with one uh, who was killed by a demon that was trying to steal her power, which she can't yet control. And as proof, she takes them to the body of Defender Stephen Strange, who is 100% dead and really fucked up. Stephen then 
in a complete Stephen could do anything. He could make the body disappear. He could put it into another dimension. He could burn Instead, it. Instead, like he, he could burn it. Instead, he takes the dead body, a corpse, a legitimately dead human being's carcass, and he like buries it under paving stones on the rooftop of an apartment building where it's like a it's like a you know a roof deck. Like people go up there. <laughs> he's <laughs> like Steven, he's like a buried worse. I'm like, Stephen, what's wrong with you? This is like someone's home. You know what? It was a great choice because in the future, he might need that call. That's right. We'll get to that in a bit. Very, very important. (laughs) Stephen uh, then says, okay, Wong, you take America to Comertage where she will be 100% safe, surrounded by hundreds of the most powerful sorcerers in the world and I will go get some backup my friend Wanda Maximoff there were runes involved in this whole affair that, that were on Gargantos's uh, tentacles and runes can only mean one thing it means witches as we saw at the end of WandaVision uh, Wanda is living on an impossibly idyllic farm surrounded by groves of fruit trees that are flowering and she's trimming the little branches off the trees and there's like these beautiful white sheep that look like these like beautiful little cotton candy clouds and they're like prancing around everything so fucking perfect it looks great and Dr. Strange smells one of the branches like this all seems legit this doesn't seem like the pro- <laughs> like the product of chaos magic at all I think this is all great I think you're doing great Wanda well done right now let me make my pitch to you demons are chasing this young lady trying to steal her power it's a threat to the multiverse can you help and Wanda's like, oh, th- th- yeah, I'd love to help. Where is America? And then Strange is like, oh, I never mentioned her name. And Wanda realizes that, aha, she is caught. And guess what? She drops her uh, her illusion spell mm-hmm. that has been making the landscape look great. And now we see like a nightmare vision of this like ruined landscape with dead trees. Everything is like a glowing red. It looks really, really, really scary. And Wanda's like, here's what's going on. Uh you're going to give me America. You're going to hand her over to me because I need her because I need to access a dimension in which my children, uh, uh, Billy and Tommy, actually exist. They exist in every single dimension except this one, and that's bullshit. And by the way, Doctor Strange, what about uh, what about misogyny? What about the fact that you break the rules all the fucking time, mm-hmm. right? And everybody's like, oh, Doctor Strange and Avenger, holy shit, will you sign my... Will you sign my T-shirt? And then I, like, lose control a little bit and turn an entire region of New Jersey into a 1950s, like, uh, village. <laughs> and and people are scared of me and hunting me now, and I don't think that's fair. And and to be fair with to her, she kind of has a point. Yeah, and um, she, she really brings it home in a way I didn't really realize because she's like, didn't you break the rules when you gave Thanos the time gem? Which is, you know, the one that allowed him. Yes vision to truly die even after Wanda's sacrifice I thought that was really clever writing I was like oh I mean yeah, I you're both that... badly behaved but this is this is a good I mean it's a good point it's a good point and it's one that uh that uh, came up earlier in the church when mm-hmm. um when Stranger's old colleague was like yeah you know um I disappeared uh wasn't there anything else you could do like you had to give him the stone which is interesting because so much of that fight, like, obviously, like, the fight on Titan didn't even happen on World. Like, that happened yeah. outside of, like, there's a huge part of that war against Thanos that took place out of everybody's view. So it's it's interesting. It would be interesting to find out or to learn more about, like, what 
people just know about the fight against Thanos. This really, it ties back to that really funny thing in Hawkeye, which was like one of my favorite theories that I came up with and is absolutely wrong, but it was fun. It's like the, the, the Avengers musical, it includes loads of stuff that nobody yeah. would ever know, like Ant-Man yeah. being a part of the team. He actually was there in the post-Endgame Infinity War like timeline, but who knows that? So I love the idea that maybe there's like, who's doing these PR blasts? Telling people about how the world was saved. I, I, I love. I'd love to dig more into that. I would love to dig into it, too. Here is my pitch on what I think happened. I think because this is such a, like an important world historical event, now you have superheroes, some of them living on Earth. Obviously, you have Asgardians living on mm-hmm, Earth, these powerful mm-hmm. people, the emergence of metahumans, of magic, of all this stuff. And I think to like, in a world in which you would imagine regular people would be like, that's all, that's great. You saved us from Thanos. You brought our loved ones back. But also, like, I'm a little scared of Y'all, mm-hmm, like, you're mm-hmm. a little too powerful. I could see a world in which the heroes just kind of, like, testify before Congress or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. And, and, say, and that would fit into a Civil yeah. War-esque Sokovia Records kind of world. Yeah, and just we're like, okay, here's everything that happened from our mm-hmm. perspective. I'll, I will tell you, I will testify in a public setting about everything that happened. And some yeah. stuff I would assume is classified, but that generally they would make that knowledge available to the people of the world since it is of such uh, uh, pressing importance to the entire population of the world. Okay. Yeah. Um, so back to our story. Strange goes to Comertage to say, hey, uh, some some slightly bad news. I actually told the bad guy the entire plan and that we are protecting America, you, and that you are here in Comertage. So we got to lock this entire city down. So this, the all the sorcerers, uh, you know, they fly into action, uh, building up uh, the defenses of Comertage. But then, of course, uh, and we meet uh, Rintra, the Minotaur, which is great, mm-hmm. a kind of minor cool. character from the Marvel comics, but super, super, super cool yeah. that we meet Rintra. And- Really interestingly, like we'll we'll get to where this movie ends up, but Rintra is really cool because they're one of the people who's held the amulet of Agamato, and and we kind of yes. see the eye and the eye of Agamato, and and the general lore of it becomes a lot more text here. So I thought that was a really clever, cool inclusion, and he looked great, looking great. He looked Rintra. really cool, looked like so yeah, cool. Looked, looked super super cool. Um, but then Wanda arrives in this Mm-mm. black storm cloud and. Uh, the sorcerers of Comertage put up a really, really great fight, but Wanda is just way, way too powerful. She kills a lot of people. Strange then uh, traps Wanda in the mirror dimension, but as a as a indication of just how Ooh. powerful she has become, she breaks out, managing to like uh, use reflections in the real world as portals to escape the mirror dimension in a what is an entirely Sam Raimi it's, sequence. That's the moment where I was like. <laughs> Okay, he got to do it. Like this is he got scary. To do it. it is he a really clever, scary technique. It that I almost haven't really even seen done in the comics that way. Like it's slightly, it really it's cool. slightly matrixy, but it's more horrorish. It's slightly Oculus. Like there's touches of it, but it's pure Raimi. And when she breaks out. They do a full ring homage. She crawls out like Sadako and her body's all broken. And it is just like, I was like, oh, it's a horror movie, baby. It's happening. um, 
to say about that, one thing, like, listen, we know uh, some of our listeners might have kids. Your kids mm. might love the MCU. My friend uh, Jason, was uh, his son is a huge MCU fan. And I was like, okay, listen, small note, this is the scariest MCU yes. movie. Like, legitimately yeah. dark and scary at times. So like, if you're bringing your kids, just be warned about that. There will be moments that I think are a little scary. Th- this is, to me, this is like parents watch it first. Because I feel like right. our age group, when we were growing up, we watched, like, everything because of the VHS store. But, like, yeah, dark. I watched everything is, that I should not have watched. This is kind of <laughs> like a, this is like that scariness of, like, a dark crystal or a legend. It's just got a little bit more blood Good. and a little bit yes. more. But, so there's some, it's like Batman. The Batman, I kind of just said to people, your kid's probably not going to like it. It's like, the, yeah. it's very real life scary. This is more of that fantastical scary, but it has some, and this is the first time I think we can say this in an MCU scope. It has some brutal deaths. Like we will get to that. <laughs> we will get to that real soon. It is, yeah. Like some people got get got like in vicious fashion. Yeah. So watch it twice. Once watch by yourself. It twice. Second, maybe with your kids or by yourself again if it's too scary. <laughs> so uh, Wanda, as Rosie noted, crawls ring like out of the mirror dimension. Uh, is about to take America's power from her. Uh, America is like struggling, but again, another portal opens just because of her instinct and the strange tackles her and through the portal and America and strange escape from Wanda, but now they're lost in the multiverse. They are mm-hmm. just going from dimension to dimension to dimension. What is a super, uh, so cool, super mesmerizing, like visual feast uh, going from dimension to dimension. It's one of those times when you get the the mixture of the mastery of being able to make a $200 million movie. It's beautiful. Anyone can enjoy that sequence. But if you're a person who wants to see an Easter egg, there are things in there. you got Savage Land. You Savage defi- Land was, you the, definitely was definitely there. Spider-Man noir world. There's a different yes. kind of really hyper-real cartooning world, which I thought was really cool, kind of almost like a scanner darkly rotoscoping world. Yeah. There also was a hell, which does exist in the Marvel Universe, yeah. and probably Mustafa from Star Wars, which we know was in What If. So I wouldn't put it past Disney to sneak it in. And I thought that was really cool because that moment when they inevitably put it on YouTube... It's just a really gorgeous bit of filmmaking. I know, it's so cool. But it also has that extra layer of like, if you're wondering, these places exist. I'm very, very excited for those places to uh, to eventually emerge. So where do they end up? Um, they end up uh, in a, a version of Earth that is seemingly a utopia. It's at peace. It is quite technologically advanced. Uh, also, uh, green traffic lights mean stop and red light, red <laughs> ones mean go. And also, the other real notable difference, other than like a lot of foliage in New York City and like mm-hmm. beautiful flowering trees, is that pizza comes in the shape of a ball, unlike our universe. Yes, and it uh, is sold by Bruce Campbell. <laughs> right, <laughs> by, by uh, Sam Raimi veteran actor uh, Bruce Campbell. With no way back to their dimension, Strange and America go uh, to this world's version of the Sanctum. On the way, they get some pizza balls. And notably, we learn that in almost every other dimension, food is viewed as a basic human right, meaning it is provided free of charge if people can't pay that is every other universe Absolutely. except apparently 616. Love that. And this one that they're in right now. And you love that. For the multiverse, I guess. 
Um, they find the sanctum out front. They find a statue of that world's Doctor Strange. Um, the dedication says that he fell in the battle against Thanos, and the doors open, and out comes Baron Mordo. And he's like, oh, my brother, you made it from some other dimension. This is awesome. They embrace. Uh, Steven is a little put off. He's like, this is a little weird, but I, but good. Not Certainly a warmer welcome than I was expecting from Baron Mordo. They go upstairs. They have a little tea. Uh, Steven and America explain the whole problem. And then Steven's like, whoa, I feel weird. And Mordo's like, here's, here's uh, my retort to everything you said. Actually, our problem most of the time is not Wanda's. It's alternate uh, dimension Stephen Strange so we're worried about you and Stephen's like what <laughs> and then he passes out it's the classic drug tea bit folks if you ever go to the home of a magician don't drink the tea especially if he was in your past your enemy like yeah, I, what too, are you doing? <laughs> I too want to have tea with Chiwetel Ejiofor obviously I do and Baron Mordo I do. being so loving but like yes. Stephen just just Steven. I know Stephen has done the drug tea bit at least once himself. So he should have known better. The classic drug tea bit by your enemy, the guy you've been fighting for 60 years in the comics and, and six years now in the MCU. <laughs> so you should have known better. Stephen and America wake up in these glass holding cells. Uh, this universe's Christine Palmer is studying them, taking readings and such, and she, like everyone else, is very, very wary of Strange. It's clear people in this universe who are in the know, superhero people, people that work with superheroes, are very, very concerned about the appearance of a, of a Doctor Strange. She uh, is like, listen, I'm studying you guys, obviously, because you're from another universe. I'm studying you because I'm a top researcher here at the Baxter Foundation. Wait, dun, what? Dun, 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 dun. The crowd goes wild in the street. People, oh my god! Yeah, the theater went crazy. The guy in front of me was just like rocking back and forth. And she was like, yeah! Baxter Foundation, of course, is the uh, is the public private uh, science research foundation. That is run by the Fantastic Four as roots yeah. that go back beyond the Fantastic Four, but is run by the Fantastic Four. Um, okay, so Strange is then uh, escorted by a squad of Ultron bots to see the Illuminati, and we meet the Illuminati. The roster is Baron Mordo, okay, Black Bolt, King of the Inhumans. Whoa, incredible, incredible. Maria and they said Rambo. his full name. They said, they his, full said his full name, Blackagar Boltagon, <laughs> which, which, which Dr. Strange makes fun of, which I think is not, that's, you can't make fun of a, he's from a different society, Stephen. You yeah, can't it was just very rude. Yeah, also he can't speak because if he talked to you, you would melt. Anyway, Maria Rambeau, a.k.a. Captain Marvel in this universe, Peggy Carter, Captain Carter, a.k.a. Captain Britain, and then... Hello, folks, the smartest man uh, in the universe. It's Reed Richards in a wonderful bit of stunt casting uh, played by John Krasinski, uh, most notably of The Office. The fucking theater went absolutely apeshit. Yeah, it's stunt casting on multiple levels because that was for yeah. a long time the biggest rumor and the biggest fan casting was John Krasinski, Emily Blunt as Reed and Sue. And to see him here was like people were just going bonkers. And also... They were going nuts. It was reassuring to me because I'm not yeah. a fan of the idea of John Krasinski uh, in the Fantastic Four. So inevitably, as the movie ended, I was like, I'm safe. But we will get to that in a moment. We will get to that in a moment. <laughs> and then, of course, Professor Charles Xavier. Now, they all come out in oh. staggered fashion. 
And the reason <laughs> it doesn't make sense narratively that Charles rolls up after everybody has introduced themselves and there's been a conversation going for like a minute. Charles, I guess, was in the restroom or something. But it makes sense in the theater oh. because they needed time for the applause from Reed Richards mm-hmm. to die down, right? For you to, to be realize quiet. that Charles Xavier is coming. They out. wanted yeah. you to see the yellow wheelchair yeah. animated series style and they wanted you to... Which we all knew was happening. And there he is. Some of the best casting in any movie ever and almost certainly one of the best superhero castings of all time. It's Patrick Stewart as Professor Charles Xavier. It's Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier. He said he'd never do it and here he is doing it. And it was great to see him. Crowd went crazy again. I went crazy. I love my X-Men. Fantastic. They, the Illuminati, tell Strange how they're strange in this dimension, uh, started fucking around with the Darkhold because mm-hmm. they were looking for ways to defeat Thanos. They needed power to defeat Thanos. And Strange was like, let me look into this Darkhold. But, of course, eventually Strange became obsessed with the book and became corrupted by it. And then somehow, accidentally, because things just got out of hand, Strange mm-hmm. of that dimension triggered an incursion, which is a collision of two universes resulting in the destruction of one or both. And we will now, definitely be talking about that at the after the Recap, because that is going to be really important going forward. You've heard us talk about it before. We're going to talk about it again. This is a good thing that they mentioned right here because now that's on our radar. So in their experience, the Illuminati says, uh, strangers are are our biggest threat. We we had to to kill our strange after we defeated Thanos. Uh, And uh, also in this conversation, we get the first canonical mention of the numbering system used in Marvel Comics for the various worlds. So, of course, main... The main Earth, the one that our main heroes are from, is Earth 616. And uh, this Earth that they are currently on, the Illuminati Earth, is what did we say it was? 838, though we will say producer soul thinks it might be 938, which will be cool because that's the universe where. 938, which one is the Santa one? Santa is 838 is Jolnir, and then uh, which is the Santa one, and 938 is the one where Doom is in power of some kind, because that would be cool, because I love Doom. But yeah, so anyway. Right. Uh, also, so 838 is one, Santa has Mjolnir. Yeah, so it's right, Mjolnir. Right, yeah. And, and it's important to know that the way that we learn this is Christine Palmer is the one who's been designating the universe, and Stephen even sasses her and is like, who would do that? Who would designate all the universes? So thanks to Marvel for that one, because it's yeah, us. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the fans, <laughs> baby. But this is a really big deal. You have been it's a calling huge deal. this the 616 for a long time. I actually have a piece talking about this because how does it work? Can you have a yeah, 616 that's on screen that's also... Uh, also, the MCU did already have a fan designation, which was like 199999, I think. Right, right. So it's, it's very interesting, but it's really exciting. Also got a very big cheer in my theater, and I was really, yeah, really proud. That was a really cool moment for that to get a cheer. That's how you knew there were some real, some real uh, nerd heads in the in the audience. Okay, so the the Illuminati are like, hey, in our experience, it's strangers that are the problem. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna investigate whether your story is legit. Your story about uh, your version of Wanda in possession of the Dark Hold, threatening the multiverse, trying to uh, trying to extract America's power so she could you know, live with their kids, but basically potentially could lead to the destruction of the multiverse. We're going to look into that. Uh, so you just sit tight until we figure that out. And by the way, if you're lying, you're dead. 
just like our other strange. Back in 616, Wanda is sitting in the ruins of Kamertage. Wong is her prisoner. Sarah, a sorcerer, uh, managed to seize the Darkhold from Wanda, and she stabs it and destroys it, and it kills her in the process. Uh, Wanda... If you were wondering, as I was in this moment, like, is Wanda 100% bad? Here's your answer. She then tortures uh, various other sorcerers, including our good friend Rintra, uh, to get Wong to get her information about the Darkhold. She's like, you know about the, you're an ex, you're the Sorcerer Supreme, you know all the top secret classified mm-hmm. shit that's in the Darkhold, or at least some of it, so you're going to tell me what that is now. And then Wong instead gives up an actually a much bigger secret. Guess what? <laughs> that dark hole is a copy. There's another one, the real one. And that one is at a secret place called, what is it, Rosie? Mount Wondegore. Ah! <laughs> Huge cheer from the audience. Well, you want to know the really funny thing? In my fifth, yeah. which was very reactive, yeah. there was yeah. one cheer. It was more like a scream of like <laughs> someone in a slasher movie. And it was me. Yes, and then I you've, got, been, you've been talking about it for weeks. I got multiple, I got multiple messages being like, was it you who screamed <laughs> when they said Mount Wondegore? And I was like, Absolutely. I will I was watching, I'm like, I love Charles Xavier. Like, yeah, like yeah. but when they said I ne- that was my one theory that I did not think they would commit I to. I absolutely love it. And it was so good. And they did the way they did it was really cool. So in this version, Mount Wondergore, Cathon didn't just make the dark hold the book in Mount Wondergore. Right. He essentially like carved the spells of the dark hold into the mountain and then every book is a copy of those spells really cool really really cool no bova spoiler but like but that's <laughs> but that's fine maybe we get her later maybe there's like you know, a cave or a laboratory had... somewhere underneath it you know Saul pointed out that that we've already had Rintra so the that's Minotaur right. CGI exists the human ha- cow right. hybrid maybe in th- this was very much like a primal brutal Cthon dark magic version of Wondergore. So we don't know what the situation of the high evolutionary or the more comic focused version is. But just to hear that name and then to learn it was really cool. That we were going to get to go there. That that was unbelievable. So just for our uh, our fans and our listeners who are do not know who the high evolutionary is, the high evolutionary is like a human being who got uh, uh, super into genetic engineering and and became like incredibly good at it, like way uh, before that technology was even available, like the the dawn of the 20th century, late uh, 19th century. And through this work, uh, d- uh, created Bova and a bunch of other human animal hybrids and a bunch of other creatures, and then ended up setting up a shop uh, in on Mount Wondergore, having their secret laboratory there and getting up to a bunch of like secret uh, shenanigans all throughout the decades. Yeah. And and this I, I learned only just from how excited I was about it. And I kind of wanted to know, like, what could this mean? Where does it go? And we can talk a little bit more, but this actual introduction could be really, really important, you know, coming soon kind of movies in the MCU. So it's very exciting. Back to our movie, Wanda takes uh, Wong to Mount Wondegore, uh, which, by the way, is if it's anything like the comics, it's somewhere like in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. In the comics, it's in a, a fictional Eastern European nation called Transia um, in the mountains there. And uh, Wondergore, it turns out, is 
the throne of the legendary Scarlet Witch. It's not a tomb of the Scarlet Witch. It's where the Scarlet Witch comes to rule. So it, it, Wanda is home. The magical guardians of the place, these kind of like giant hulking creatures, they kneel before her. And using her new uh, dark hold, Wanda, uh, as she's been doing all along, uh, dreamwalks. So dreamwalking is the ability to send your consciousness through other dimensions using other versions of yourself as the conduit. She, she sends her, uh, her personality back into the 938 version or 838 version of herself where yeah. the Illuminati are. And I think this is really interesting because we didn't touch on this because it's so fleeting, but uh, me and one of my colleagues, Mikey Walsh, we've been talking about this a lot today. The reveal in this to do with dreamwalking, which... Another thing that we sort of got right is definitely kind of adapted from Sleepwalker, who we thought may play a part in this. Was we thought that. Toy. It, so I, there and, was a moment it, when she first said Dreamwalking where I'm like, oh, my God, we're right. We, yeah. It was like, like the, our nightmare they, theory is right. They adapted it. And it, it, she doesn't have to be asleep, but it's still connected right. to it. But something very interesting that they reveal in this film that seems to be canon that we never knew before. You can connect to your multiversal versions of yourself through dreams. Essentially, if you yep. dream of yourself in the MCU, you are likely seeing another multiversal version. Yep. And this is actually a really bit of smart plotting because after much talking today in the Nerdist Slack, we couldn't really think of a film where there are actual nighttime dreams rather than like visions like yeah. in, uh, you know, in Age of Ultron. So this is very smart and I think it could really... Dreamwalking was obviously very dangerous. We see how dangerous it is for Wanda, but I think that notion of what a dream means in the MCU and it being a space to connect to different multiverses, that feels like a really cool tiny story nod that could become a much bigger thing. I completely agree with you. Um, okay, so back on Earth, 938-838, uh, where the Illuminati live and where uh, Doctor Strange and America are, uh, Wanda has taken control of the version of herself self that lives there, and she flies over to the Baxter building. I'm going to call it the Baxter building. We don't yeah, know it's for like a fact the Illuminati it headquarters slash Baxter yeah. building slash British Museum, living it up. Something like that. Uh, and long story short, folks, it's rip the Illuminati. <laughs> Uh, rest we, in you, peace. We get, rest in peace. We get some of the most brutal deaths in MCU history yes. here, including okay. Uh, so, so, so this is where Sam is like, this is where Sam's like, by the way, guys, remember I'm just, me? I'm going for it. You remember who Gore I am? Gore King. You, you, thought, right, yeah. you thought the mirror was bad? So the first death we get where you really understand what's about to happen to the Illuminati. This is not a, this is not even like a Moon Knight style shooting. This is like, you're going to see some people die in a horrific way that is absolutely connected to their powers, which is so clever. Uh, the first one is Black Bolt. He yeah. thinks he can kill Wanda because, you know, he was the one who killed Strange. He has this powerful voice. She Matrix style closes his mouth and he's so surprised that he ends up making a noise and essentially like shoots himself in the head with his own it mouth. Absolutely die. his head implodes and he oh. dies. Reed Richards gets turned into like a thousand string cheese slash hot dogs. <laughs> he gets, Incredible. He gets turned into glizzies yeah. and dies. He is he's <laughs> gone. He is gone. It's not happening for him anymore. Goodbye, sir. It is very brutal. Uh, Captain Captain Carter gets oh. bisected by her own shield. And the blood dripping off it. That is Ugh. so iconic. It's terrifying, but it's so good. And then you have more of the uh what I will say are they're kind of the questionables. You know, so so 
Oh, no. Well, we have to talk about Charles. Well, first, let me ask you, Captain Marvel dies by uh, dropping a statue on her. Who is the statue? I don't know. This is something that I've really been trying to work out. Yeah, I could not figure out who it was. Everything else there is much more generic and Illuminati themed. But the statue seems prominent and purposeful. Maybe it will be something that we are taught about. It will be like retroactively important. Kind of like yeah. how in Thor they it, they put the Infinity Gauntlet in the background yeah. and then they had to say, oh, that was a fake one. But I wonder if it will be something we get introduced to the importance of it to the MCU. Like, it Like the garb, it seemed to be a woman and mm-hmm. it looked like, if anybody's played the video game Horizon Zero Dawn, yeah. it looked like kind of like very uh, like tribal style kind of like garb not armor but more like skins and not mm-hmm. like fully costume it's hard to really tell yeah. what it was but i i couldn't work out i wonder if they want if it's going to be something to do with like hera or like another god like a mm. female god who's going to be relevant but who could have also been like a warrior at some point in a version of the avengers also that death is really interesting because everyone else's deaths are incredibly final we see charles die in a really incredible moving moment which is very gene yeah. gray-esque which makes absolute extremely, sense extremely extremely you know gray he moment. enters wanda's mind and and as he finds the real wanda who is trapped in there the scarlet witch the essence of the scarlet witch aka the phoenix force <laughs> like yeah. in this version the redness yeah. it comes and then she sneaks out the back with a demon face and snaps his neck like that is brutal and scary maria rambo though She's an immortal alien, like, Kree warrior, can fly into space, survive, doesn't need to breathe, and a statue falls on her. That, to me, is the, that's the questionable death. I agree. I, I think she could have, I think she could have powered through that also. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, the fight, RIP the Illuminati. Again, they beat Thanos head up. <laughs> With Apparently, like a sword, no problem. It looked like as yeah, well. like on Titan, like without the big battle, without the backup from the Asgardians and the and the sorcerers of Comertage and all the rest. It was legitimately just them soloing Thanos on Titan, and then Scarlet Witch just erases them. So tough, tough uh, moment for them. Steven uh, links back up. He uh, beats Mordo in a straight up fist fight. Yeah, uh, Mordo survives, up. baby. Mordo survives. Uh, so he links back up with uh, America and Christine, Alt Christine. They go running. They flee into a tunnel that runs under a river. They end up uh, back at the entrance to the Gap Junction, the place where the Book of Ashanti lives that we saw at the beginning of the movie. And of course, the only way to get in there is some puzzle that involves uh, Stephen's watch. So they get in there, but. Long story short, the book is destroyed and our friends get separated. Wanda uh, takes America back to 616 Mount Wondergore. And then Stephen and Christine end up in a world that has been partially destroyed by an incursion. Uh, Stephen and Christine encounter that world's Doctor Strange. And he's an absolutely fucked up dude. You can tell straight away this guy's. <laughs> you can tell it's not. You can tell it's not on with this guy. Whatever's going on. Don't go in he, the house. I don't know why you know how like went a, in there. You know how like a cable installer will have like that, that like huge tablet that looks like the size of a Bible that like hangs from their belt. That's how this version of Dr. Stephen Strange uses, has the dark hole mm-hmm. like clipped to his belt, like a cable guy. So, you yep. know, it's not on, um, uh, strange 616 strange defeats evil strange in a 
like an actually really cool music note battle. Unbelievable. Like, it, you haven't seen anything like that in any You movie. have not, not seen it. Was, not just in the MCU. Like this is it, straight out the pages of a comic book or video it, game. It, was, it had a Kingdom Hearts vibe. It's like it was amazing. So amazing. And the way that they use music, I have to say, I can't believe it took me this long to mention him because he's an old fave of mine when I was a kid. He can he can go through ebbs and flows. But the score of this movie is by Danny Elfman. And oh my days, does he deliver? Like you he could not believe delivers. the things that he does in this movie. There is a scene that we're already past when when Wonder when Wonder is using the dark hold and she's kind of like visualizing what's going to happen and trying to dreamwalk, and and Sam edits it like it's the year two thousand. And Elfman scores it like it's the Electra movie that Fox made. And it is fantastic. It is like the most goth shit I've ever seen. And I was just like, I when this movie comes out, that will be the scene. That and the music note scene are going to be Thor picking up the hammer for me from Endgame. It's, like, it's I will really be going cool. back. It is The so music good. note fight, it reminded me, it's like the most original fight since the Ant-Man suitcase fight against Yellow Jacket, yes. which I was just like, this is so cool. I've never seen anything like this. The music note fight is just, it's awesome. Uh, eventually, uh, with Christine's help, Strange defeats Evil Strange, grabs the dark hole, is like, okay, here's the plan. I'm going to dream walk into the corpse of myself that I buried on the rooftop. Good thing I did that, folks. Corpse Strange uh, arrives in the vicinity of Mount Wondergore and is immediately waylaid by the souls of the damned. Who are the souls of the damned, you ask? They are just uh, damned souls that uh, that kind of like walk the dimensional uh, fields and are just like very, very angry and they hate everything and they especially hate like dead bodies that are kind of alive. Like yeah, Shrek. they're being necromanced. So, and the coolest... Yeah, they don't like necromancy. They don't like necromancy. And the coolest thing is like he's... Those things are going to kill him, right? And then Christine has this moment that is so great and well-written where she can see he's going to die. And she says, you're a master of the mystic arts. Use yeah. their spirits. And lo and behold. He Gundam suits them. Uh, they, they turn into like wings or tentacles or appendages. Whatever and he, he flies, needs. Whatever he needs. And he flies over to Mount Wondergar. And now we get the big fight. Uh, and Wong, who we once thought dead, thrown off the cliff. Of course he wasn't. We knew he wasn't dead. Never. That's the Sorcerer Supreme. That's the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, you Sorcerer can't Supreme. kill the Sorcerer Supreme, baby. He gets into the action. Eventually, America punches Wanda through a portal, which takes her to Earth uh, 838-938. We haven't decided yet. And she comes face to face with the mom version of herself that she had uh, hijacked. And they fight. Billy and Tommy are truly horrified by uh, 616 Scarlet Witch and realizing that she has uh, what she's become. Wanda chooses to leave the kids with mom Wanda and destroys the Wanda Gore throne and the tower drops on top of Wanda, who is dead, but it's left very, very, it's, very vague. If, this is a this is a very accurate representation of Wanda in the comics and the way Wanda yes. is treated in the comics. And if we go by that, then she's probably going to not be dead forever. And really right. interestingly... Wanda has died many, many times yeah, in the she, comics. Let's just put it that way. So she... We earlier saw in the movie that when somebody destroyed the Darkhold, they died, right? And Wanda destroys the Darkhold by pulling Mount Wondergore on top of her so no one else can use it. She's taking responsibility for her actions. But very interestingly, Stephen then learns that the Darkhold has been destroyed in every universe. Dun, dun, dun. Wanda's power. 
Um, okay, so America opens a portal and uh, brings Strange back from the evil incursion world, sends Christine back to 838-938. America stays at Carmitage to train in magic. Shades of Strange Academy? Yeah. Strange's first student? I think we're going to get it, right? Whether it's a Disney Plus show or whatever. I I think it's going to be Strange Academy, but I think what they're going for here is like Wong and America together, Wong as the mentor, Wong as the leader of the Strange Academy, and then we will get to that moment that's probably going to lead to what we see for Stephen. Uh, very excited. So Strange uh, fixes the watch that Christine gave him, the $23,000 plus watch, uh, goes to take a walk outside, strolling in a, a wonderful day out at New York, and then he collapses because a third eye opened on his forehead, much like the third eye that had opened on the evil Doctor Strange, that uh, the one that had been using the Darkhold uh, for an d- unknown amount of time back on the uh, incursion destroyed Earth. Earth. So now Stephen, we know, has been corrupted to some level. What, the amount, we don't know, but he has been corrupted a little bit by the Darkhold. Yes, the Darkhold has the taken credits. its toll. And he goes, it has taken its toll. And the eye opens on his head and then Danny Elfman goes, wow, and then it cuts to the credits. Incredible. Now, first stinger. Uh, Doctor Strange, uh, time has passed. See, he is obviously very comfortable. He's chill. He's comfortable with his third eye that's that's just there on his head. Not that I don't think anybody can see it. Probably just him, or we don't know. But he's he's comfortable with it. He's now. chilling. He's, he's just, just walking so around New York City when uh, what should happen? But a portal opens from some strange dimension, and who should come out? It's his comics girlfriend, Clea, uh, played by the great Charlize Theron and wearing like the 80s, 90s Clea costume. The classic Clea costume. Purple leather, shoulder pads. She's got this iconically striking purple armor that's totally over the top. And she's like, you caused an incursion, babe. We're going. We got to go fix it. Do you need to know more? And he's like, not really. Let's go. His little eye opens. Boom. And then they yeah. and they walk into the dark dimension from where we see Doctor Strange before, uh, where he fought Dormammu. And in the comics, Clea is the niece of Dormammu and is the sorceress supreme of the dark dimension. So they walk through there and it's like, cool. Steve. And I will say, something this movie set up that we did not include in the recap because it was like very in the weeds, emotional yeah. moments. The whole movie sets up Stephen basically learning that in every single universe, he will never be with Christine. That's not happening. (laughs) He's a waste man. She doesn't want nothing to do with him. She's marrying someone else. Every America, America's always like, are you with Christine? No, he's never with Christine. And and the last Christine, who he seems to have this connection with, the Illuminati universe Christine, she says, you got to allow it. you got to give yourself yeah. open to love. you got to fall in love. And then That's lo right. and behold, his hot age-appropriate cosmic comic it. book wife Finally. turns up and he's like, <laughs> I'm doing it, baby. I'm going to the dark dimension. I, I got to say, again, it is shocking to me if you're girlfriend gives you a $23,000 fucking watch and you guys break up. <sighs> you fucked up somehow, Stephen. But yeah, but it's great to have Clea around. I love Clea. She doesn't look and... like she's going to give him any presents or let him break up with her. And he needs that Absolute... energy in his life. No presents. That is what he needs. We go to the second stinger. Now, uh, back on Earth 838 slash 938, when Stephen and America 
uh, had encountered the pizza ball man played by Bruce Campbell, America was telling Stephen, you don't have to pay for anything in any universe except 616. 616 is the only universe where they make you pay for food. Every it, In every other universe, it's a basic human right. And then Bruce Campbell's like, no, actually, you got to pay for this. What the fuck are you talking about? So uh, Stephen Strange cast a spell that caused Bruce Campbell to punch himself in the face for like, what was it? Three days? Three or weeks. Three weeks. Two and weeks. So the so the final stinger. We see Bruce Campbell, famous for being Ash from the Walk, the Evil Dead, yeah. and he's punching himself in the face with the left hand, which is a big Evil Dead bit. And then he's like, "It finally stops." And he looks to the camera. And it's over. <laughs> Just like Evil Dead. It is a wonderful nod to the Sam Raimi oeuvre. And with that. Let us talk about this movie. What did we think about it, Rosie? I really had a great time. I think that there, uh, I think, you know, some people have criticized, you know, I think that there are certainly the emotional stakes are different because there's no will they, won't they with Christine. Mm -hmm. It's always a won't. You know from jump, they ain't getting together. So where does the other emotional stakes come in? Uh, And it's mostly from his relationship with like his own moral code Mm -hmm. and his burgeoning relationship with America and also Wong just being a badass. Yeah. But like, listen, I'm a, I'm in the tank for Sam Raimi. Mm -hmm. I'm in the tank for Marvel magic. I, I really had a great time. I thought it was was super fun. I thought it was brilliant. You know, something that we talk about a lot because it's the way we look at this stuff, right? You can have these movies for like everyone and that's not just in a scope of representation or characters that you like or don't like. I think we live in a world where there should be a comic book movie and there can be a comic book movie when there's five of them coming out a year or whatever, you know, that just feels like you're picking up a comic book. To me, this is like me and you wandered down to like secret headquarters and we both picked out a 25 cent like quarter bin issue because that's what I wish still happened in every comic shop. But you pick out that back issue and you read it. Maybe, you know, we know all these characters because this this is our thing. But like, even if you didn't, I love the way that like this felt like that. It felt like you were on an adventure that felt like an old 40s serial. It felt like you could just jump in and out. I thought something really cool was the way that America was introduced as a wholly rounded character. Yeah, I like that a lot. She had a backstory. She had a power. She existed in her own world. And she came into ours. And something else that I thought was really cool. And, you know, we've talked about Joe Casey and and how he didn't get paid and he did his creative collaborator. And and that really sucks. And I hate that. And and it makes me so bummed out when I think about this stuff. But, like, something I thought they did that was really cool with America was when they showed her, uh, they briefly show her backstory. And she's from, you know, the utopian parallel, as we know it, a dimension where she had gay moms and they show that and they're in love and they really focus on it. And they actually did a lot more than I thought they would. But what's really cool is the first time she opens a portal, she sends her parents through it and she's lived this with this grief her whole life. Now, in the comics, it's much more of a kill your gays situation. Yes. America's home planet was destroyed. Her gay parents were dead. Boo. In this, I love the notion that they seed and that Stephen seeds that even though America didn't always know how to control her powers, the intention behind each one always took people to the right place. And I love the aspect here that potentially America will get to meet her parents again. And really in that moment, her mutant powers manifested in a way that helped them, that helped her, that put her on the right path. There were little bits of storytelling there that I actually think were like quite layered, but they, you know, I understand how also it's like this bombastic music fight horror movie. So 
but yeah, no, I mean, I, I loved it. That's like, that's really high up there in my MCU ranking. I just thought it was, that's like, to me is like a, that's up there with like Thor Ragnarok on mm. like a reimagining and, and restructuring of the tone of a character in a sequel. I just thought it was so great. I completely agree. Here's a thing that I think could happen. You know, we love to theorize here at X-Ray Vision. The most fun. First arc of Young Avengers involves the parents, the families of a lot of the characters there, and very, very, very notably America Chavez. And I think in a, say, a future Disney Plus Young Avengers show or something like that, the way we can get the team together yep. would be America, she's testing out her power, she's looking for the dimension where her parents are, and what does she find instead she finds like a kid version of Loki. She finds like all of her friends in this in this uh, mission to like find her 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 parents. Uh, and then she I don't want to spoil the first arc of Young Avengers, but maybe she finds them and they're not quite what she thinks. But I think that her no, parents I think... are obviously going to play a role, a very propulsive role in America Chavez's arc going forward into the MCU and the Disney Plus. I think you're 100 percent right, because also like the first issue of that, the the Jamie McKelvey, Kieran Gillen, uh, yeah. Matt Wilson stuff. Excellent. So fun. It's so brilliant. And it has a really big tie to Wanda and a really big it tie really to does. her role as a mother and her role as a parent. And we have now been introduced in these shows. Everyone has a tragic parent origin. Kate Bishop. Yeah. Eli from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. He lives with his granddad who was, you know, destroyed the first real Captain America and he was ignored. He was imprisoned by the government. Everyone has a tragic parent backstory that I think could be a very smart way of tying into to a Young Avengers show. I think that's really clever. I mean, I like as we learned in this movie... This is the only dimension, it's 616, the only dimension where Billy and Tommy, Wiccan and Speed don't, they don't exist. We know they exist in that 838938. Mm -hmm. And we know they've been traumatized by watching their mom duke it out with an evil version of herself. And like, uh, you got to figure if they're going to assemble the Young Avengers, they have to get them from somewhere. And I would mm -hmm. imagine they'll get them from there yeah. um, where they have that that perfect kind of like bad mom backstory but of course it's not really their mom i think that's really smart as well because like let's talk about the other big big elephant in the in the where do they come back from room which is wonder i yeah. thought this arc for wonder was actually brilliant and i think it's really very much equivalent to what happens in the comics where she gets this sort of deep character arcs that make you really care about her and she has this human moments and then by editorial edict or creator choice that's all blown up and she's evil she's very much magneto's daughter in that way she goes yeah. from good to bad and her powers become incredibly powerful or, or not at all powerful and she's a mother living in the suburbs and she's a universe creating woman and to me this felt very much in that vein and i i didn't necessarily feel the moral quandary of her wanting to kill america being that much different than what she did in westview but i know mm. that some wonder lovers we're not a huge fan of this arc. Oh, um, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's it's really hard to watch your favorite character who's very emotionally relatable become a villain, a true villain. So she drops the Mount Wondergore on herself, destroys these dark holds. What do you do you think we get a kind of wonder reincarnation? Do you think she's in some kind of Eldritch Orchard? Or do you think we get 838938 Mum Wonder as a superhero? 
I think what we get with the destruction of the of the all the dark holds, theoretically burning out the corruption that that Wanda had had, mm, um, had incurred I like by that. studying it. Right, I think we're going to get some version of like like a permanent dreamwalking. Like so, we we've introduced and we've uh. talked about the the possibility that there are that there are these nexus individuals who are. Uh, whose existence is like vital to the way the multiverse works, that they mm-hmm. all they exist in every single dimension. Right. And we saw Wanda in, in 938 slash 838. What if by this dreamwalking process, Wanda, of course, is responsible for things she did, but the goodness of the other versions of Wanda, like she's able to interact engage with that somehow that kind of nexus being kind yeah. of like thing where listen i don't think she's dead 100 percent. No, if you don't see the body same, she ain't dead. and she's died again can't say it enough she has died so many times in the comics yeah. and disappeared turned into a puff of smoke disappears for like five legitimate real world years and then comes back living in like milan or something where she falls in love with hawkeye weirdly yeah. like stuff like that <laughs> happens all the time and i I want to um, say as well, like, we've talked a lot about this and you were really the one who brought it up and I think it's so legit. Like, and after watching this movie, it really made me think about it. But the, uh, you know, the trial of Magneto arc that they recently yes, did. I thought about that so much. Yeah. This really feels like an, an an encompassing space where in that book, her different versions of her life and the different parts of her past come together to give her a certain amount of peace and a certain yeah. amount of clarity and a certain amount of happiness and and, you know, uh, closure. And I feel like people have long wanted a Scarlet Witch movie. And I would love to see a movie or a WandaVision-style show, which is Wanda going through those versions and finding that peace and finding that acceptance and that happiness, which she takes one step closer to at the end of this movie by yeah. allowing mom Wanda to raise the kids and getting that reassurance and, from her that, you know, the kids will be okay, they will be loved. And for those... Uh, Wanda stands out there. I count myself among them. Absolutely. Um, take solace in the fact that the Darkhold absolutely took its toll on Wanda. Like, yeah. it, it, does she do villainous shit in this? Yes, and absolutely. She should take responsibility for that. She should acknowledge that whenever, uh, whenever she comes back into our lives as a member of the MCU, but also realize that, like, the influence of the Darkhold was very, very strong as we saw what it did to Strange in the corrupted mm-hmm. dimension. Like, like, she did bad stuff, but the dark hold was also influencing her to do that bad stuff. I think that's a really good point. And I think that the dreamwalking aspect, even though it didn't, you know, we got a lot of things right. We got some things wrong. We it's will the get nature. into that. We will we do also, the stark. We will do the scorecard. You know, we also don't want to. We never want to be right every time because then it's not fun. Right. right? It's but, not fun. But like one of the things that we were really thinking about was this notion of nightmare. And I still believe even though nightmare may have not shown up in the movie, the notion of there being a dream world or or a, pa- yes. a passage between realities via dreams is very nightmarish. Wanda could have not just been under the control of the Darkhold, but also something greater, a puppet master. She's yeah. been manipulated before by Mephisto. I know the MCU stands hate to hear the name, but he was the one doing it. He was the one using the kids against her. So I don't think we've seen the end of this story or Wanda's accountability that she's going to hold herself to for it. And and whenever Wanda comes back in the comics, what usually happens is she just 
is living like as a normal person somewhere without a lot of memories. I think I think when she comes back, that's what's going to happen. She's going to be just living as a person somewhere, maybe aware of what she's done in the past and feeling very guilty about it. Maybe she's created like a completely new persona and memories about herself. But I think she'll come back and she's going to be underground for a little while. Yeah, you know, maybe she's going to be living with her new husband, Simon Williams, or something Uh like that. You know, the man who may be Wonder Man. I think there's lots of interesting spaces. Let us go to what we got right and what we got wrong in terms of our theorizing. This is going to be fun. Uh, First... The significance of WandaVision, uh, the show, including the Darkhold and Billy and Tommy. Crazy. Ding. We got it right. Nothing to do with No Way Home's multiverse issues. This was your big one. I had a feeling in my gut that it wasn't going to happen and nobody believed me, but we were right. Ding. Uh, That the Illuminati would only make a brief, albeit crucial, appearance. This is less of a prediction this, this is, is like, more of like 50% a, prediction and 50% this is how movies work. Yeah, this is like gut check. If you watch a lot yeah. of movies and you talk about movies with your friend, you can watch a trailer and be like, mm, this is probably going to happen. So Wanda's chaos magic connection to Gargantos. And uh, we we just didn't guess the part where she created Gargantos to send after America. But we, we understood the connection. Very inventive Michael Waldron, who, by the way, I have to shout out because that script was funny as fuck. It was really, really funny. Non-stop joke. Uh, that we'd see Captain Carter. Now, we confirmed the trailer, but we predicted that way before yeah. that part of the trailer. An appearance of Mount Wondergore, take of take of, I mean, take of victory I literally, lap, crazy night. I will say that at any time. I'm like, it's Mount Wondergore. If Wanda's there, there's a cow. <laughs> uh, what, did you know that's where Wanda and Pietro were? Oh, it first was in Thor 134. Oh, <laughs> Mount Wondergore. But this time, I was right. So, you know... If you mention it enough times, the theory will come true. And I was so happy about it. A House of M-style payoff for Wanda. More than a payoff, like the entire setup is basically House mm-hmm. of M. Um, with some other different things sprinkled in there. But, the you know, Wanda uh, being uh, t- too dangerous, uh, emotionally unhinged. And affecting the safety of various realities that is yeah. House of M. And you basically. know what else that we that they took from House of M that we kind of didn't even really consider that they would do? The notion that Charles Xavier is involved in the idea that Wanda has to be killed, which is like a big right. part of everything that sparks off. So that especially was very House of M. Maria Rambeau, played by Lashana Lynch as Captain Marvel, as a Captain Marvel fan. We got that. The other, uh, the other possibility was Superior Iron Man, which a lot of people liked. We always thought it was Maria Rambeau. Yeah. And that incursions, whew, the, the very important incursions from uh, the Time Runs Out arc that plays out over Illuminati uh, and New Avengers. Yeah, I want to give uh, Zig a big shout out because he picked, he was like even talking about that as one of his picks. Like, and, and this was the, the Hickman New Avengers stuff where they basically introduced the idea of the incursions, which is like a, it's a, essentially like a contraction or a contradiction or a glitch in the timeline. Yeah. But this is almost certainly going to lead into us getting that Secret Wars show that we've, lo- or, or TV, movie, whatever, that we've long thought about. Because the incursions right. and the idea of galaxies colliding, universes colliding and exploding, it's its all very much seeded in, in that 2015 uh, Secret Wars by Hickman and, and Assad. Here are the ones that we didn't get right. Boo. No nightmare appearance. 
as the villain. Although, again, there were moments where it seemed like it was headed that way. And mm-hmm. as you noted, the the dream walking, the idea of dreams as this kind of um, uh, thread through dimensions, this kind of like interdimensional uh, pathway is very much a nightmare mechanic. Yeah. That's how nightmare uh, gets his power. Um, so, but we're going to count it as wrong because we're magnanimous. <laughs> Didn't lean into Wanda as a nexus being. Use dreamwalking between multiverses instead. I will make a further prediction off that, even though we got this one wrong. I will say that now with the dark holds all destroyed throughout multiverses, now we may see um, the MCU lean into Wanda as a nexus being. I think so too. Also as well, uh, where did the power of the dark hole go? We just saw it go out into the universe. We know in superhero right. stuff, if a lot of power like that goes out into the universe, it can have an effect. Nexus beings, they're coming. I believe Jason. What if did not play a, a prominent role? No Supreme Strange. There's a zombie, but not really. It's necromancy. Like, we it's necromancy. It was set dressing. They did a really good job making people who watched What If feel like it was important. And it was like, it opened people's eyes to the notion of some things, but it was not a key part. And then finally, no Deadpool, no other mutants, and no Kang, uh, which I found. The the last one is the one I found particularly interesting mm-hmm. that we've got no hint of Kang yet. But you would have to assume if Charles Xavier existed in a variant universe of the MCU, that uh, the school that he runs and the team that he also covertly runs yeah. uh, must exist as well. And that is terribly exciting. Okay, so look. No Kang, right? They didn't say Kang's name, but I will say, in this movie, Reed Richards tells Wanda that he has children and a wife, Sue Storm, and he doesn't name them, but Franklin and Valeria. Yeah. So that leads to the notion that in this universe, Kang would essentially at some point exist because he is a descendant of Reed and Reed had children. So it's really interesting. And I think uh, my gut says, because we love Kang, we talk about him a lot, love that Jonathan Majors casting. My gut says with the recent move of moving Ant-Man and Quantumania before Marvels. I think Mm. the Fantastic Four is a big focus, and I think they're essentially saving whatever they're doing with Kang, whatever plan it is, whether we meet him as an ally to Ant-Man and the Wasp, whether he is an antagonist, whether he is Reed and Doom and, you know, Kang, and he's all these different versions. I feel like they that is going to be the thrust of Ant-Man, Quantumania. And I'll be really surprised if that's not the case, especially after he wasn't in this movie that would have been so easy to reintroduce him. Rosie, let's talk about the the untimely, rest in peace, death of the Illuminati and what specifically that might mean for whether or not we see any of these uh, actors play these characters in the MCU going forward. Uh, John Krasinski, obviously a huge fan casting. My sense, my sense is, other than Captain Britain, mm-hmm. Captain Carter, we probably won't. This was probably a goodbye. This felt like a goodbye to all these people. Like for you're not going to see John Krasinski as Reed Richards. Yeah, Anson Mount. You gave it a go with bad wigs, but we're not going to see you as Black Bolt going forward. Uh, Patrick Stewart has been very outspoken about his desire to not be in the MCU and he did it for the bag and he was great. Good for him. And, but he is an older gentleman uh, and I would imagine he's not terribly keen to sign up 
for like a 15 movie deal <laughs> with the MCU that would include cameos and like various properties. So it felt like a goodbye. What do you think? No, I totally agree with you. I think that the big potential is Peggy Carter. If we yeah. saw if we were going to see someone again, I think that with the Marvels coming up, I think there's a version where we get a quick cameo from Maria in a dark, in a moment where Monica feels like she can't be Captain Marvel or Pulsar or Photon or whoever they, or Spectrum, yeah. you know, whichever name they give her. I feel like there's a maybe a way that we could see her realizing or discovering that in a universe her mom was Captain Marvel. That seems very knowing. I also think it's a really good, it's a good course correct because in the Captain Marvel movie, the way that the Brie Larson, Cap Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel gets her powers is the origin of Monica Rambeau. So it's a good course right. correct to be like, here is a world where it was Maria. And so that one feels like, that's like a 10% you could get a cameo to me. Peggy, I think is quite likely. Everyone else, they're gone. This is this is Feige being incredibly magnanimous and saying, look, this stuff you guys exists. wanted it. And right, you wanted, you wanted it. it. You, you wanted, wanted Charles it. Xavier, but that's not going to work. Like we the question of how to introduce the X-Men is is the most important and profitable question probably in Disney's history because if they yeah. fumble the bag, they will lose no joke billions of dollars and they could decimate the MCU. It's it's so important and that's not going to include Patrick Stewart, but they gave him a great moment here. They also cleared the way for Jean Grey by getting rid of Wanda for a little bit. And to me, I think the Krasinski thing is a really cool bit of stunt casting that recognizes fans who wanted it. And I am a, I'm a Fantastic Four truther. You can ask people who used to work in a comic shop. My poor <laughs> friend, Mikey, who used to hate hearing about it. I'd be there and I'd be like, oh, the X-Men, you know, I thought the Fox deal said that they could never make an X-Men TV show, but now they're making Legion. So maybe they made a deal with Marvel so Marvel right. could get the rights back. I have fan casted that a million times. I have fan casted... Keanu Reeves as Reed Richards. I have fan casted Adam Driver as Doctor Doom. I have a whole different fan casting with a for a fan fiction that me and my friend wrote. Like I care so much about that. And to me, the John Krasinski Emily Blunt one. If that had been ten years ago, MCU, that seems like the kind of casting they would have done. But now it seems a little bit safe. So I think this was yeah. a really cool nod to say, "Hey, here he is in that suit, looking a certain way." Now, don't be crying when it's Raoul Cooley who plays Reed <laughs> yeah, Richards right. or, or Jonathan Majors playing every character, you know? And I, so I think that's a, to me, that's a, that's a really cool bit of fan service that's really thoughtful and was also done in a really funny way. And I think like Krasinski, I just give him so much props. He was great. For being like, yeah, I'll come and be Reed Richards and then get turned into spaghetti. Like, I think that you got to have like a lot, you got to be really willing to have a lot of fun with that. So I think the Illuminati is the, the RIP Illuminati. The caveat I will give is the sense I, I came away from this movie kind of feeling more so than before that, oh, the recent news that that Feige uh, announced that they're going to be going into the uh, to a retreat to yeah, plan that, the next no, 10 years of the Marvel That's why I didn't even That's realize it. They're that in it, in it. That that is actually vital because the sense I got coming away from this movie is that 
they kind of don't know how they're going to bring in the MC uh, in the X Men and the MCU and the Fantastic Four, and obviously, as you said, those are going to be big deals. Like those yeah. are going to be the things that extend the life of the MCU for a decade plus. Like, exactly. X, X, X fans, Fantastic Four fans have been waiting yeah, for this. That, that's so, when uh, it's going to all start being, my, my guess is we'll, instead of phases, when the X-Men come in, we'll start having ages. And my, and my sense is also that obviously they could bring them in through alternate dimensions, but I think, you know, with the Fantastic Four, you need that origin. You have to understand where they come from as a mm-hmm. family. I feel like you would need to see them get their powers. You would need to boot it up again. And then similar with the X-Men, we need to lay the groundwork of a world in which people are scared mm-hmm. of people with powers and by extension mutants when they appear. They, they are fearful of them and they want them controlled, pushed away, pushed to the margins, uh, killed Maybe, you know, like that they'd be okay with that, that there's a level yeah. of of general bias and even hatred in the world for powered people. And I think that will take some setup. So I came away from this feeling that while the multiverse is an incredible tool, I actually feel like it's not the best one to bring in the Fantastic yeah. Four or the X-Men. I think it's going to be more of a case of the multiverse is going to be about this kind of battle world, secret wars-esque implosion mm. of a cosmic scale. You know, Clear and Doctor Strange jumping around the multiverse, like doing cool cosmic stuff. But I think you're right. Fantastic Four, it is narratively easy because it is one accident. Yeah. And and right. I think that... From, Very straightforward. Yeah, from the recent news of the director departing because he wanted a bit of a break, I think that and the moving of Ant-Man forward, I think that the Fantastic Four will likely be the first one because I think it is easier to establish in the MCU as we know it. Whereas, like you said, there's going to be some, there's going to have to be some groundbreaking kind of shifts in the politics and the landscape of the MCU to make mutants as a oppressed class feel authentic. Well, it was... Uh, super exciting, fun time at the theater. Man, I had a great time. It was so time. fun. It was super, super fun. Uh, you went to the premiere. What was it like? Were people like losing oh it God, and going off? The premiere. Okay, so the people were going off. It was really cool, actually. So one thing I will say, I would put the mask rate at about 10%. I was <laughs> in the 10. <laughs> that's okay. Listen, it, uh, I didn't love that, but I was in a mask and others were too, but not a lot. Who was around me? I saw a uh, Tony uh, Revi. Tony Revioli. Tony Revolori. I saw Tony Revolori, aka Flash, Flash Thompson, was uh, sitting in my section. Great casting. Leah McHugh, who plays Sprite in the Eternals movie, was was uh, quite close. Oh, Tara Strong, who oh is, voice acting minutes, icon. A voice acting icon in in uh, many 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 things, including many many video games, and of course uh, Miss Minutes uh, from the Loki television program on Disney Plus, and then Frankie Grills, Frank Grillo, and his son, aka Crossbones, aka Crossbones, one of the best looking fifty four year old men that we've ever seen. He was also in my section, and um, that was that was it. And a lot of like very like internety. Uh, people, there was like a comedian that I follow on TikTok, which who I couldn't figure out like why they were there, but it was really cool. To, it was and weird to see them in person. And I and I had a suit on, so I did that right. And it was a fun <laughs> vibe. Like it was. Um, did it get the big reactions? The, 
We got the big reactions because they had, I think, very wisely for Vibes, had invited like a lot of hardcore Marvel fans and specifically mm-hmm. like cosplay people. Wow. Like they were doing, you know, on on the red carpet interviews with the stars, but also just like fans. And they had talked to uh, some Wanda cosplayers who had come like from Germany and Switzerland and different places. So there were like a lot of wow. uh, real like like real big fans and figures in the fan community. So like there was a vibe and there That's was an, like when when 616 was mentioned, people cheered. Uh, when the Baxter Foundation was mentioned, people screamed. When Reed showed up, people went crazy. So there was people knew Mm-hmm. And when, when Mount Wondergore was mentioned, like people cheered. So there was there were people like who knew uh, Marvel Comics lore. And that was really, really fun. It was a great vibe. Uh, very enjoyable. Um, it's, it's super weird to be in that environment, but I enjoyed it. I had a great time. <laughs> and I can't wait for everybody to see it and yeah. uh, hopefully listen to this podcast and and talk about it with us whenever they uh, whenever they see it. Up next, we will go to Nerd Out. <laughs> In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, Michael pitches us on the novels of Heather Schaefer, who, before recently coming out as trans, wrote under the name Craig Schaefer. Hello, Jason, Rosie, and the listeners of X-Ray Vision. My name is Michael, and I want to introduce you to the collected works of Craig Schaefer. Honestly, I first stumbled onto this author when the Amazon algorithm told me, you might also like this author when I was looking for the latest Jim Butcher, Harry Dresden novel, and boy, am I glad I decided to jump in. The premise of the first Craig Schaefer book I read, the Daniel Faust novel, The Long Way Down, could best be boiled down to what would it be like if Harry Dresden wasn't a very nice person? Or frankly, what if Harry Dresden was kind of an asshole? After that first book, I was hooked. Daniel is a magician slash mobster with a succubus for a girlfriend that is working his way up the mob food chain in Vegas while battling the demon courts of hell alongside some other shady characters that include his girlfriend, a blood magician, an arms dealer, and a voodoo priestess. Daniel Faust led me to Harmony Black, her other series, that features an FBI agent that also happens to be a witch, and her partner is the daughter of the wolf god. I know, it sounds a little batshit crazy, and it is, but only in the best way. What I love about the author is her ability to tie all of her characters and story arcs together, including bringing a coven of witches from an earth next door from her Revanche Cycle series of Renaissance-inspired fantasy tale to modern-day New York to interact with all her other characters in the Wisdom's Graves trilogy. All the books are great, and I haven't even gotten into her Charlie McCabe series that is just a straight-up crime thriller. She's getting ready to release the 10th book in the Faust series soon and is working on the 7th book in the Harmony Black series. But her latest work is a standalone novel called Any Minor World, which she surprise dropped last week. It's a noir thriller about an ex-cop helping a comic book author fight and overcome her characters that are coming to life and trying to kill her. Yep, you heard that right. And yes, I have been saying her all this time. On this year's Trans Day of Visibility, she came out as trans. Her name's Heather, and her books are awesome. Thanks, Michael, for submitting. If you want to be featured, send your nerd out pitch to x-ray at crooked.com. Instructions are in the show notes. We can't wait to hear from you. 
A big thank you to Rosie Knight for joining us on X-Ray Vision. Rosie, this is the time where you tell people where they can find your stuff. What do you have to plug? Where Where is it all? Tell us about Godzilla one more time. You can pre-order Godzilla now. <laughs> if you go to my Instagram page, which is Rosie Marks, or you Google my name. I have a website and you can pre-order the comic. You can go to your local comic shop and you can start yeah. a pull list to support your local comic shop with this book on it. You can also see articles that I have written by the time this podcast is out those articles will be live if you've got questions about clear or wonder gore or you know the 616 and the history of it who created it it's a big it's a big conscientious question people think it's alan moore but uh somebody else gets the credit it's dave thorpe i'm not gonna clickbait you but um (laughs) but yeah there's there's lots of cool stuff like that you can hear me here of course uh i have a letterbox which i'm actually updating i've done some pretty funny reviews recently where i'm not allowed to say anything so i just like posted funny youtube videos and yeah, that's that's all the good stuff. And I'm just so happy I got to talk to you about this movie because it was so much fun. Super fun. Folks, you can check out our videos on the Uncultured YouTube channel and the show notes for the listener's guide to X-Ray Vision where we provide more details on all the stuff that we talk about in the episodes. Our next episode will be out May 13th and we'll be doing a Doctor Strange mailbag. So if you have any questions after seeing the movie, tweet at us. Email us at x-ray at crooked.com and let us know what your questions are so we can have your answer for them and for you on the air. And don't forget, rate and review us. We want those five stars. We need those five stars. We got to have the five stars. Leave those five stars for us. Please, if you like the podcast, we love it. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dellen Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. And Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. See you next time. Bye. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. 